So we're in part three of our, um, of our series called The Mind. And uh, I think you'll, you can, I mean, I, if you haven't listened to it, I would go back and listen to John and Sarah. Um, but the main thing I took from there, apart from a lot of other good stuff, was the, we talked about the neural pathways that we can often make, sometimes good, sometimes bad. I don't know if you guys remember the picture that both of them used of the tall grass and the pathway um, made through it, through people walking through it. And that's very similar in our brain, that we can continually think the wrong thing and it will create that kind of go-to in our brain just as well as we can think the right things, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. And that can make the right pathways for right thinking. Um, and also, I'll just add this, that my beautiful daughter was a... a um, she was at a ladies' conference just earlier, before the early, early worship. And um, she, sent, she put this on our family chat, and she said, um, when we see discipline as a punishment, we miss the training God is doing. It's true, isn't it? And I'd kind of add on, and we talked about it at discipleship, didn't we, Anthony? We discussed a discipleship about how God is more interested in your character than your comfort. So I think I'm kind of God speaking to me a lot lately. I was just shared a little bit with John and Jim about how good discomfort actually is for us in Christ, right? Because it stretches. And I'd say, you know, when we're in this series of the mind, if you guys feel that you're feeling a little bit, you know, this feels a little bit awkward or are feeling a little bit um, uncomfortable with this, maybe it's something in your life that God's raising up for you to deal with, yeah? Because a lot of us walk around with unforgiveness, bitterness, baggage, don't we? Just me? (laughs) Just me. (laughs) That's what my wife said. So yeah, so anyway, but what did amuse me this week was a joke uh, about a little boy I heard, and I thought it was really good, because we're talking about thinking and just how he thought. In fact, it made me laugh even more when I first heard it, because it's the kind of thing I could imagine my children, my boys, doing. So what happened was this little boy went to his mom, he wants a new bike, right? So he says to his mom, Mom, I want a new bike. And so being a good Christian mom, like she was, she said, um, well, why don't you pray to Jesus and ask him, you know? So he went back to his bedroom, he thought about it, he thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a letter to Jesus, ask him for a bike, because, you know, that's, that's what we've been taught to do. And uh, I'm going to drop it off in the post box in the church, can open it and you know they, I'm sure they'll be able to contact Jesus on my behalf to get my bike so he went up to his uh, little desk and he wrote a letter something along the lines of dear Jesus if you give me a bike I promise I won't sin for a year put it in his envelope walked down the stairs and as he was going out the front door to post it he noticed the statue uh, his mum's statue, she had a statue of the Virgin Mary there on the mantelpiece, and he looked at this statue, and he's thinking about the letter in his hand, and he thought, ah, I don't know if I'm going to not sin for a year. That's quite a big ask, you know. So he went back upstairs, chucked it in the bin, got another piece of paper out, and wrote a second letter. He said, dear Jesus, if you give me a bike, I promise I'm going to try really hard, I won't sin for six months. Put it in an envelope, walked down the stairs, got to the statue, Statue's looking at him, Virgin Mary. He's like, oh, I'm not going to do this. It's just not going to happen. As soon as my brother annoys me, it's just game over. So he, uh, he went back upstairs, um, 
Halfway up, he thought. Ran back down the stairs, grabbed the statue of Virgin Mary, ran back upstairs with it, stuffed it in his toy box, sat down at his desk and wrote a new letter. Dear Jesus, I've got your mother. If you want her back, send the bike. But it's funny how we all can be so different and we can all see the same thing and be in the same situation and think so differently. I'm talking today, so the topic for me today is is reframing, okay? Uh, So so let me give you the, 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 the clever terms for it. So it's kind of changing the way we look at something by changing the meaning, right? So it's also called, if you guys want to get clever and Google it some more, which would probably be a good thing, it's called perceptual accentuation or cognitive restructuring. Or, like I said earlier, in my language, it would be, I'm thinking differently. Um, Another way to say, to talk about reframing is this, and and I was chatting to um, a friend of mine, Fomi from the States yesterday, Uh, he's a bit of a mentor to me, amazing chap, his sister is a therapist, uh, a sister-in-law in the States, and he asked me, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching on reframing. He said, I love reframing. It's such a useful tool in uh, therapy. He said, oh, my sister-in-law um, was talking to me about it. And basically, it's adding additional information, adding additional information to the situation you face. So you that, thus reframing. And he told me a quick illustration of where he'd seen it play out to his demise at the airport when they were on a family trip. And... Um, what happened was, he, he was tired. They've come from, I think, either back to the States or to here, I can't remember. And he went in, like I do, and stood at the entrance where the bags come out. You know, most people stand back, but he was there, just wanted to get his bag and go. And uh, he grabbed his bag, and as he walked off, a lady who was also stood by there trying to get her bag said, what a selfish man just stood right at the entrance waiting for his bag, which he said he got quite upset about. It's like, well, he's not doing any, any harm, you know? And walked up. He said, in his terms, quite hot about the situation. And um, he heard his nephew say to the mom, who's a therapist, what happened? With Uncle Colin, he he looked upset, and the lady's saying that he's selfish, and the mom said, oh, my love, I think the lady's just tired after a long trip. Same scenario, total different thinking. It's so important that we reframe our situations and things we face in a way which is really, and I'm going to get into it in a minute, aligns it with the word. So I got thinking as to what biblical illustrations there are of reframing in scripture, and there's loads. In fact, I reckon we could preach months on biblical reframing and the characters of the Bible. But the first one I came to, or popped in my head, was the story of David Goliath. We love David and Goliath stories, guys. Yes. yes. Oh, and ladies, sorry, we can't. I'm sure there's a lot of ladies like the story of David and Goliath. Good. So here's the story of David and Goliath. David and Goliath. What I like is the way David reframed the story, and he totally did. And just think about it like this. So here we've got the Philistines have, have come up onto one side of the valley to have dominance over the valley. And the, the Israeli army is on the other side. And there's this valley in between. Now, 
The problem is, you don't want to go down the valley and up the other side because then you're going to be in a real vulnerable position, right? Coming up the hill to attack your enemy and vice versa. So the Philistines were there taunting the Israeli army on one side of the valley and then the other side of the valley, um, you've got the Israelis who are actually at this point, the Bible says, um, in real fear. And then what they did was, they said, right, in line with kind of ancient combat, they sent Goliath, their champion, from the Philistine camp, down the valley, all nine and a half foot tall of him. Nine and a half foot. I mean, this guy was a big dude, right? Covered in shiny armor, and he's there now taunting the Israeli army. What you got? Come on. I'll pull you apart, blah, blah, blah. And at this point, what happens is David has been sent by his dad to deliver some food to his older brothers. I think there was three of his older brothers there who were there on the front line. And he got there and he heard this going on and he's looking at the Philistine, Goliath, and he's looking at his brothers and the army and the king Saul, all in fear. And he can't get his head around this scenario. So he's saying... He, hear, he hears the king's offered this great deal that, you know, you've got you can, his daughter and, um, you know, there's, there's, there's all kinds of benefits if someone will step in. And no one in the Israeli army wanted to step in. Nobody wanted to, to drop down and represent Israel against Goliath because the guy's a scary giant, right? So David, who they reckon is about five foot tall, he's like, I'll go. And his brothers are like, shut up. What are you going to do? He's like a youth. They reckon he was five foot He's like, this now is going to run down and take on a nine and a half foot giant. And David's like, you know what? He says to the king Saul, he says, when I'm tending to my father's flock in the field and a bear and a lion come to steal the flock, he says, I kill him. I wrestle them. I kill him. He even said, I grab him by the flipping whiskers. Right? I mean, that's brave. He probably didn't say flipping, but he grabbed them by the whiskers. He says, I'll go. And no one else is there. So, so King Saul says, okay, great. He goes, take my armor, please. It's, you know, it's like special forces material. This, take it. Go, go, go. I mean, if you want to step up, step up. David says, no, I don't need the armor. Because David knew the gifts that he had in him. He knows the skills that have been deposited in him. He was confident in God. He's telling the Israel army, our God is bigger than that guy. Our God is bigger than this situation. Why are you all shivering in fear? When he says, don't be fearful, trust me, I'll give you... So David reframes the whole story here. So he nips down with his, with his, with his shepherd's rod and he picks up five stones, doesn't he? Goliath comes out, what are you guys taking the mickey, sending a kid with a stick? Picks up five stones, and David says, you, you know, you're not going to defile our God. This, this guy's the God. You know the story, slingshot, hits Goliath in the forehead, Goliath falls down, he runs over, he's excited, takes Goliath's sword, because he hasn't got any armor or sword on him, he's got five stones and a stick. Chops off Goliath's head. Back up to Saul. There you go. Problem solved. But God's bigger. He reframed it. He's not looking in the natural. He's looking to a supernatural God who's his representative in heavenly places, right? Then we look at, then we look at Joshua and Caleb. Same story, right? 
They go out and they spy out. Moses says, go spy out the land. So he go, they go out. And they come back. And, they, and the, there's, ten, there's ten spies, right? And the ten spies came back and said, we are in big trouble. Because they had the wrong lenses on, right? This is, these are not my sunglasses. They're my wife's. They look pretty odd. But I was in a rush and I grabbed them. So they're looking at the same scenario through different filters, right? You get the analogy, right? Same scenario, same thing they're looking at, two different reports. They're not that funny. (laughs) (laughs) So Joshua and Caleb step up and they say, hey man, we can take this land. Not only can we take it, we're going to smash it. We'll deal with the giants. We'll, t- we'll take the thing. The walls aren't going to be a problem. You know, I won't, that's not going to Jericho. You know what happened there. Fortified walls as wide as the church crumbling down. We'll deal with it all because like David, my God is way bigger than this situation. But the other ten with the wrong filter were like, we might as well now. Guess this is how, this is how damaging and wrong and misleading the wrong filters can be, why don't we pick another leader and take us back to Egypt to put us back in slavery? Because we're in a world of trouble if we head into the promises God has for us in the promised land. How mental is that? But Joshua and Caleb, they reframed. Say reframed. Thank you, all five. They refrained. <laughs> they refrained. The, the thing is, I think, when I was at, we, Kerry and I, we went to uh, David's tent, and um, I love it, brilliant, presence of God, great worship, thousands and thousands of people worshipping. And this kind of sad thing in it was, there was a set with um, Jonathan, Melissa, Helsinger, Helsinger, how do you say it? Helsinger, thank you. Um, brilliant couple. And they did a call for anxiety. Anyone struggling with anxiety? And I, said, I actually bumped Kerry. I said, just look around the tent. Thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians all raised their hand in response to, I suffer with anxiety. That's not God's plan for us. Huh? That's not, that's not God's plan. I, I don't want to be unsympathetic or... Um, what does my wife say? I need more empathy. I don't want to be unempathetic. Right? Okay? But that's not, our, that's not his plan. That's not his plan. 80% of a tent full of thousands of Christians, we struggle with anxiety. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. So we shouldn't be tackling things. That, I think that the large problem is, and I said it earlier on today, that when we're faced sometimes with really stressful situations, instead of reframing it with this, we pour ourselves a glass of wine and sit in front of Netflix. Hands up if you've done that. Come on, there's more. We do it, don't we? We don't want to face this. Let's switch off. Let's have a glass of wine or two and watch Netflix. You can waste hours watching Netflix. But this is the reframer of reframers. This is a supernatural book. 
This reframes your situation. This reframes your thinking. This, and I'm going to play a clip for you in a minute, statistically will rewire your brain by the washing of it in your mind because this is alive and active. Alive. It's the only literature in the known universe that is alive and active. When I open this, I wish I had some sound effects. When I open this, that was good. When I open this, this is a game changer. Game changer. I'm going to blow your mind with some statistics in a minute. Let's just let's have a look at the Word of God. Let's see what it says about itself. Romans 12.2 And do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs. Don't think like them. Reframe. But be transformed, be transformed, because we've been transformed to Christ-likeness. That's our goal, right? Be transformed and progressively, ongoingly changed, continually changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing, by the renewing of what? My mind. Focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is. Not your wife's will, not your will. God's will. Well done, that boy. Because that's what we want. I tell you what, you want to find peace, joy, contentment, and happiness, you won't find it outside of the will of God. Center yourself in the will of God, and you will find... I promise you, you will find the peace you desire. You can't find a supernatural peace outside of a supernatural God. That's quite good, isn't it? I like that. That which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Okay, let's get into Ephesians 6.12. And I'm going to show you something interesting. For our struggle, and this is why, guys, this is why we reframe supernaturally with this because it says this for our struggle is not against flesh and blood it's not a natural it's not a natural struggle for Jesus followers because we're in this world but we're not of it anymore so it's no longer a natural struggle it's a supernatural struggle because our fight isn't against flesh and blood contending only with physical opponents but against the rulers and the powers, against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces, spiritual forces, I'll say it again, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. Our fight isn't there. You will exhaust yourself as a follower of Jesus, because I can tell you this from authority, I've done it myself, exhausted myself many times, trying to handle things in the natural when I'm told to operate in the supernatural, petitioning God in prayer on that level. That's where your breakthrough is. Our breakthrough. Therefore, 
put on the complete armor of God. You know, people always say, I'm getting up in the morning. I never took mine off. Anyway, therefore put on the complete armor of God so that you will be able successfully to resist and stand your ground. And having done everything that crisis demands, so having done everything, that problem, that situation, that relational breakdown demands, resist and stand your ground in the day of danger. And having everything that is crisis demands to stand firm in your place, fully prepared, immovable, and, which is promised to us, victorious, because we are victorious in Christ, this is why we shouldn't be a people on the ropes like my boy's box. And if you're on the ropes, you're, you're, you're huddled up like this and people are just punching and punching. That's not us. We are not the punch bag. We are the victor in Christ, ladies and gentlemen. That is the good news for today. We are the victors in Christ. Thank you. More than a conqueror, the word says. More than a conqueror in Christ. One more scripture. We've got to love scripture. Hebrews 4. For the word of God, and this, this is why we've got to reframe with the word. The word of God is living and active, Hebrews says. He's telling them the word of God is living and active and full of power, making it operative, energizing and effective. Ephesians 5 says, the word, read it for yourself, Ephesians 5.26, it says the word, it washes your mind. It washes it. What else washes your mind supernaturally? There is nothing, to my knowledge. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. That's what the word says about itself. A two-edged sword penetrating us. It's so sharp and so penetrative that it divides between soul and spirit. Where your mind, your will and your emotions are, right? And both joints and marrow, the deepest parts of our nature. That's what the word does. That's where it cuts. Because you want it to cut with this, because truth sets sets you free. Doesn't it? So you can't refrain without this. Can we just play play that clip, whack the volume up? This is interesting. I came across it this week. There was a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 general population in the U.S. from 8 to 80. They discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. And we're in the scripture four times a week. It something radically happened. Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow. Four times a week in the Bible. Four times a week in the Bible. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, Bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that, that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time are you spending in Scripture? If they're in the Scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. 60%. 60%. Spiritual stagnation reduced by just four times. Just four times. Four times. These were, these were people that they, they... The stats on the people who just picked up the word of God. All the effects. Relational problems. Stagnation spiritually. Alcoholism. Anger. Drops. Ridiculously. 
for the people who just picked this book up four times a week. I mean, I meant to and I didn't, I wish I had, get the statistic of the amount of Christians who actually read their word on a daily basis. And this isn't a jumping, you know we don't, there's no, nothing about jumping through hoops to please God. God loves us. We can't do anything to change his love for us. But he knows it benefits us. That's what he says here. Feast on this. Reframe with this. I mean, there's some clever people out there, but no one tops this, right? Last scripture. Philippians. We just talked about this. Do not be anxious. All through scripture, it says, do not be anxious. I have got great plans for you. When it says do not be anxious, the reason why the writers all through scripture say, do not be anxious, do not fear, is because they know that God is bigger than the worst of the worst of the worst scenario you face. So they write confidently, do not be anxious. Someone who's harsh at preaching would say, you bunch of sinners, you're doing what the Bible says don't do. Stop it. I mean, I wouldn't say that, but some would. Stop it. Just say to the person next to you, stop it. Stop it. And you didn't do it. Did you do it? Okay, fair enough. Do not be anxious or worried about anything. As Jesus followers, do not worry. Do not be anxious. However bad it looks, whatever the scenario, do not be anxious or worry about anything. But in everything, every circumstance and situation, by prayer, petition with thanksgiving. I love that. It's a game changer. So I'm actually petitioning God with thanksgiving because that's faith, right? Thank you, God. You're going to reframe this situation for me. Because I'm thankful in faith that it's a game changer. Continue to make your specific requests known to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God, who doesn't want that? The peace that will, which reassures the heart, that peace which transcends all understanding, that supernatural peace, that peace which stands God over your hearts and your minds, that peace in Christ Jesus is yours. It's yours. It's not maybe one day when you've worked hard enough and jumped through enough Christian hoops, it's yours. It's yours now. That peace, that supernatural peace, which surpasses natural understanding, is yours. In Christ. What a result. Thank you. It is good. Finally, and I'm, I'm final. Believers, whatever is true, this is my wife's favorite scripture, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right, and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. Think continually on these things. 
There's the pathways neurologically we want. These things. Amen?